all these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Welcome back to the next episode of BC Law's Just Law Podcast. I'm here with uh, Professor Michael Cassidy, who teaches in the areas of criminal law, criminal procedure, evidence, all the sorts of things that make Hollywood movies about law uh, exciting and interesting. Objection. You're forgetting uh, legal ethics. Legal really ethics. exciting. That's a really exciting. That's the most exciting <laughs> subject. I know. I'm thinking about all the movies where it, it focuses on legal. I think there's a few, though. Yeah, but uh, in any event, uh, a popular you know genre of video today is, of course, you know, uh, doctors reacting to medical movies. Uh, you know, soldiers reacting to war movies. Everybody's reacting to something. And of course, a central part of that is lawyers reacting to legal movies of which there is no shortage. So what we figured we'd do um, is just go through clips from sort of popular uh, legal movies, TV shows, uh, certain scenes and sort of talk about what's going on in them. I think they're pretty much all... Uh, you know, like the trial scenes, criminal. I don't think there's many law movies that like focus on doc review and things that are not exactly glamorous and, uh, you know, rich in terms of uh, analysis. So I think we should be in luck here. I don't know. There are some pretty juicy transactional scenes in suits. If you <laughs> I know, well, yeah, that, so. I, I think they do stir up the, the the drama there. But I think when people think of of law movies, it tends to be you know like a courtroom and uh, you know the the theatrics and so forth. But so I think a lot of these will be um are, are probably things people have seen before and try to try to pick some. Some classics. So without further ado, I figured we'll just go through and, uh, you know, whatever you see, whatever analysis you have, you see something, uh, you know, some, some, some tactics. Uh, I'd love to, love to talk about it. So uh, we're going to get started here with this movie, A Civil Action, which uh, I think a, particularly around here, people are probably familiar with. It's, of course, uh, focused on the what happened with W.R. Grace back in the day, litigation against, um, you know, or I, I guess involving toxic torts, pollution. Uh, you have John Travolta in the movie playing uh, the, the, the plaintiff's lawyer. I don't want to spoil the rest of the film, but pretty interesting opening scene. So I'll go ahead and uh, get started with this and uh, love to hear your thoughts. It's like this. A dead plaintiff is rarely worth as much as a living, severely maimed plaintiff. However, if it's a long, agonizing death, as opposed to a quick drowning or car wreck, the value can rise considerably. A dead adult in his 20s is generally worth less than one who is middle-aged, a dead woman less than a dead man, a single adult less than one who's married, black less than white, poor less than rich. The perfect victim is a white male professional, 40 years old, at the height of his earning power, struck down in his prime. And the most imperfect? Well, in the calculus of personal injury law, a dead child is worth the least of all. A million dollars he turns down. One million dollars? I don't believe that story for a second. It's true. Come on. It's true. He, he turned hey, sure. Eddie. Hey, how you doing? Good. Do me a favor, will you? Yeah. Shut the f*** up. That's our banker over there keeping an eye on the collateral. He doesn't know Jan turned down a million. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Are you comfortable? Okay. Okay. 
rise. This court is now in session. The Honorable Constance Mullen presiding. Carney versus Massachusetts General Hospital, case number 81-27-25. Attorneys, please state your appearance. Randolph Woodside, Mass General. Craig Monk, Massachusetts General Hospital. Harold Pesha, Mass General. Jan Schlickman for Paul Carney. Kevin Conway for Mr. Carney, Your Honor. Mr. Schlickman, the court's ready for your opening statement. Your Honor, if it please the court, the parties involved have agreed to a settlement. All right, so what happened there? So actually, this isn't one of the W.R. Grace cases. It's one of um, Jan Schlickman's first cases involving a, a tort in the North Shore, and it's uh, figured prominently in the book because that was the case that really rose him to stardom. Um, it makes it makes me laugh because uh, in the actual W.R. Grace case, um, which uh, he went on to try, um, one of the lawyer's strategies was to never let the jury see the victims, and they split the case out into the scientific portion of the case first, followed followed by uh, summary judgment, judgment notwithstanding the verdict or directed verdicts, and then the plaintiff's case. And it was just because of this. Once the jury sees the families, um, they uh, they are obviously so inclined towards the the bereavement that they're going to side for the plaintiffs in a in a tort case. So I think that the reason they put that in at the beginning of the movie is to show how Jan Schlickman kind of got catapulted to fame in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, it also makes me smile because I was. I was a summer associate at Foley Hoag who represented W.R. Grace right. in 84, and then I was an associate between 86 and 88, and I was in the litigation department. And at least 70% of the young litigation associates were somehow involved in the W.R. Grace matter, and I used to literally hide in the corridors to avoid that kind of work because oh I didn't God. I didn't want to do it at yeah. all. And I managed to escape without having had to do one W.R. Grace assignment. So... Um, so I look back at that as a, as a big success. Oh, that's really interesting. So, so you're saying that uh, basically the, the, the strategy can be to try to keep uh, the folks out of the courtroom uh, in terms of – now, is that something that the opposing counsel can try to do or, I mean, isn't it up to them if they want to be present? Well, I mean, uh, if they're actually a party, they have a right to be at counsel table. But, of course, the a lot of the child victims were dead. So it was people uh, suing on their behalf. Um, but – Judge Skinner, in a very controversial move, said that he was going to try the scientific part of the case first mm -hmm. and the damages part of the case second. Okay. Uh, okay. So that's why uh, Hale and Dorr and Foley Hoag yeah. thought that they had a chance to have the juries never see the the, the, the victims. So, do you think that's a, a realistic depiction of how the, the settlement can go down, even right, right down to the absolutely. wire? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It can be a wink and a nod and a scratch on a yellow uh, piece of paper. Um, I think that 
the only unrealistic thing about this is there are terms to every settlement. So, right. you know, uh, non-disclosure, for example, mm -hmm. non admission of liability. Um, so they would have requested a break, okay. negotiated the agreement. So it's not just two million on the sticky note. Probably not going to be enough to uh, yeah. to have the judge dismiss the jury. Okay, very good. Uh, all right, very interesting. All right, so I'll go to the next uh, clip. So this one here uh, is from uh, the show The Good Wife, which I've never watched, but it was I know I know it was a very popular show. This clip was uh, recommended to me from someone, which is why I, I figured we'd throw it in. So another courtroom scene, which I think most of these tend to end up. It's where the the, the drama tends to be. Uh, so we'll go ahead and take a look at what's going on here. So, Anya, the week before the murder, this is the week Mr. Kimball received the leaked video. Did you and Mr. Kimball travel to Washington, D.C.? It's a simple question, Anya. Did you and Mr. Kimball stay together in Washington, D.C.? I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate me. Are you sure that's what you want to do? You're pleading the fifth? Yes. You're worried about relating what happened with the victim in Washington, D.C.? I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate me. Miss, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Your Honor, Are the witness already answered. Are you pleading the fifth because you were involved in Mr. Kimball's murder or because your of Honor, the leak of the... Your Honor, it is not your place to ask my witness. Yes, it is, Mrs. Florick. Now... You are taking the fifth. Your Honor, if you compel my witness to answer this question, I am moving for an immediate mistrial. Denied. I'm asking a simple question. You are not, sir. Mrs. Florek. You are piercing the Fifth Amendment right. Mrs. Florek, shut up. No, sir. Excuse me? As long as you are attempting to circumvent her Fifth Amendment right, I will not shut up. You will shut up or be held in contempt. Then hold me in contempt, and I will refer this to the Judicial Conduct Committee for immediate action. This court will adjourn until tomorrow morning. All right, so what is... Tense. What was what was going on with that? Uh, well, see, I told you, you'd come up with a legal ethics example. Um, so there was contemptuous behavior on both sides. There, he. I mean, it would be rare that you saw a judge say "shut up" to a litigant in court uh, twice. But um, you know, that's that's done for dramatic effect. If if a witness takes the Fifth Amendment and the judge wants to inquire into whether there's a legitimate basis to take the Fifth Amendment, the judge would normally dismiss the jury uh, so as not to prejudice the the witness in the eyes of the jury. Um, so uh, a lot of what was done in front of the jury there would actually be done with a closed courtroom okay. uh, if the judge had any questions. And most judges, um, you know, I don't know anything about the facts of this case, but if she was present at the scene of the murder and might have been a perpetrator or an accomplice or an accessory, you know, the judge would probably just accept her Fifth Amendment plea and not inquire. But if he's going to inquire, he's probably going to inquire in a closed session. Okay. And so, so I guess, you know, it seems like part of the, 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 the challenge here is, you know, the, the judge all of a sudden is the one asking the questions. How, how, how common is that? Well, it depends on the prosecutor's tactic. I think she's the prosecutor in that show, if, if my memory serves. Um, so um, if, 
she wants to immunize him, uh, that witness, if her whole purpose in calling them is to have the judge grant the witness immunity to, and override it, then I think it would be very uncommon. It would usually be the the litigant developing the, the line of inquiry. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, moving on, uh, we got our next uh, clip is from Legally Blonde, which I feel like that's a rite of passage in law school, not only a popular film in, you know, into itself. Now, if you can believe it, I have never watched that movie. I know that's like shocking. I feel like everyone's got like a movie or a song that's that's popular that they've never seen. I've just somehow gone through three years of law school and have never seen it. I believe in my orientation, they showed clips from it, but that's as, as close as I've ever gone. However, even myself, not having seen it, that there are some scenes in there that I feel like you have to, when you do something like this, you have to show. Now, it better be a Jennifer Coolidge scene because she was the real star of that movie and her career has actually eclipsed Reese Witherspoon's yeah. now. She's in that White Lotus show. Okay. She was in American Pie. Yeah. She was one of the funniest characters in that movie. But anyway, so you're showing me Reese Witherspoon, not Jennifer Coolidge. That's okay. Oh, my apologies. All right, well, let's see what's going on here. Um, Miss Wyndham, what had you done earlier that day? I got up. Got a latte, went to the gym, got a perm, and came home. Well, you got in the shower? I believe the witness has made it clear that she was in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Your Honor. Um, Miss Wyndham, had you ever gotten a perm before? Yes. How many would you say? to a year since I was 12. You do the math. You know, a girl in my sorority, Tracy Marcinko, got a perm once. We all tried to talk her out of it. Curls weren't a good look for her. She didn't have your bone structure. Oh. But thankfully... Just pause there and ask again. Can, can, like, can a lawyer just kind of come up with like an aside no, like that? No. Is it, no, okay. Is at that point giving testimony. The only time they can actually do that is is talk to the jury like that is during opening and closing. So okay. that's ridiculous. It's taking some liberties there, okay. Same day, she entered the Beta Delta Pi wet t-shirt contest where she was completely hosed down from head to toe. Objection. Why is this relevant? Oh, I have a point, I promise. Then make it. Yes, sir. Um, Chutney, why is it that Tracy Marcinko's curls were ruined when she got hosed down? Because they got wet. Exactly. Because isn't it the first cardinal rule of perm maintenance that you're forbidden to wet your hair for at least 24 hours after getting a perm at the risk of deactivating the ammonium thyglocalate? Uh, yes. And wouldn't somebody who's had, say, 30 perms before in their life be well aware of this rule? And if, in fact, you weren't washing your hair, as I suspect you weren't because your curls are still intact, wouldn't you have heard the gunshot? And if, in fact, you had heard the gunshot, Brooke Wyndham wouldn't have had time to hide the gun before you got downstairs, which would mean that you would have had to have found Mrs. Wyndham with a gun in her hand to make your story plausible. Isn't that right? She's my age. Did she tell you that? How would you feel if your father married someone who was your age? You, however, had time to hide the gun, didn't you, Chutney? after you shot your father. I didn't mean to shoot him. I thought it was you walking through the door. Order, order. Order. Oh. oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Bailiff, take the witness into custody where she will be charged for the murder of Hayworth Wyndham. 
All right, let's pause it there. Um, I feel like there's uh, there's a lot going on there, which I don't feel like all of which you could get away with, but uh, please. please. Well, I mean, the most ridiculous thing is I think she's a law student working for a law professor on this case, yeah. and he's giving her uh, the authority to cross-examine a witness, which doesn't happen. But, um, you know, it was a great cross-examination. She brought out the inconsistencies in her story, and she brought out the fact that if she really got that many perms, she wouldn't have taken a shower right afterwards. But what never happens is somebody breaking down in tears and admitting the crime on yeah. the stand. I mean, that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. It, it seemed like she was stacking together like four questions without giving the witness a chance to answer. Is that? I feel like that's not okay. Okay. Right. I mean, it had the had the um, prosecutor jumped in, she could have she could have asked her to break up the questions and give the witness an opportunity to respond. All right. All right. Well, entertaining. It's very lesson. entertaining. And by the way, that is. Jennifer Coolidge in the front row with the big uh, sunglasses. Okay. Okay. All um, Next, another another classic, My Cousin Vinny. Um, I feel like you couldn't do one of these without getting into some My Cousin Vinny. Uh, so we'll go ahead and see what's going on with it. Now, my, I don't know exactly where in the movie uh, he talks about the two Utes, but hopefully it's this clip because that's one of, my, one of my favorite parts. But anyways. What you do in your father's garage? Tune-ups. Oil changes, brake relining, engine rebuilds, rebuild some trannies, rear end. Okay, okay. But does being an ex-mechanic necessarily qualify you as being an expert on tire marks? No. Thank you. Goodbye. Sit down and stay there until you're told to leave. Your Honor, Ms. Vito's expertise is in general automotive knowledge. It is in this area that her testimony will be applicable. Now, if Mr. Trotter wishes to voir dire a witness as to the extent of her expertise in this area, I'm sure he's going to be more than satisfied. I'll, yeah, I'll just pause there. Uh, so I don't believe Joe Pesci pronounced that correctly, but would you mind to correct him? Voir dire. Okay. And uh, for the laypersons among us, voir dire refers to? Just doing something outside of... Um... Out, interrupting, doing something outside of the the normal course and usually outside of the presence of the jury. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Now, uh, Ms. Vito, being an expert on general automotive knowledge, can you tell me what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a four barrel carburetor? It's a bullshit question. Does that mean that you can't answer it? It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. Your Honor, I move to disqualify Ms. Vito as an expert witness. Can you answer the question? No. It is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. Well, oh. She's acceptable, Your Honor. All right, so uh, what was happening with that? That's actually a very realistic clip. I love that clip. I, I show it to my evidence class. Yeah. 
when we're talking about expert witnesses. So um, when somebody presents an expert witness, they have to show that they are qualified um, as a result of education or training or experience. Um, and there are so the rule, Rule 702, actually allows you to present somebody as an expert just because they've done it enough times. That's called a skilled witness. So it doesn't actually have to be somebody who has a PhD or certification. It can just be somebody who's who's repaired certain cars for uh, for hundreds of times. And of course, she worked in her uh, her brother's auto body shop. But um, yeah, so that's pretty realistic. Uh, the, once the um, person putting on the expert brings out their qualifications, um, before they get to the substance of their testimony and give the opinion, the other side's allowed to voir dire them um, on the nature of their qualifications because they can then move to have the judge disqualify them under Daubert. And he actually thought he was going to catch her with a hypothetical that she didn't know the answer to, and 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 she slammed it. So uh, he just admitted that she would be qualified. So then she's allowed to go back to direct examination and okay. give her opinion. Okay. Marissa, Marissa Tomei won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for this. She was hysterical. Yeah, certainly. Now, uh, one question that came to mind was, you know, he, he comes up with this unbelievably exotic example, uh, expecting her to, to ask that. I mean, is that, you talk about uh, whether or not a, a witness is qualified, need you be able to answer something like that? Like, is that an acceptable way to, you know, in other words, if she didn't know the answer, is she out? If she didn't know that one answer to that uh, uh, qualification, a judge probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't uh, disqualify her and say she couldn't give an opinion. So that was th for theatrical effect too. But she did say that she worked on transmission. So then he's asking her, oh, if you've worked at transition, how do you time a transition? Transmission. Sure. Oh, uh, moving, right. Well, uh, moving along, go to uh, next show, uh, which is The Sopranos, popular show. That's the one I'm pretty familiar with. Watched a lot of Sopranos in my time. Uh, so we'll first go to uh, this clip right here. Uh, which I believe deals with uh, Tony, who's the the gangster in the show, his his attorney, and uh, him representing him in, in court. Before we commence, a thousand thank yous for Webistics. I sold off some of my Disney to buy it. <laughs> my pleasure. So, what do we stand this month? Your uncle's petitioning to get out of jail on a medical pending trial. Let him. You'll think they're liable to let him out. Maybe as a temptation for you to act again. Since you are at the helm, it all gets back to putting up bigger blinds, really limiting your exposure to potential Rico bobos. The only way to run a family these days is bunker style. You peer out through the slit. Mumses. Excuse me. Uh, so uh, Rico, he's talking about the the, the Rico uh, statute. There, what are they? What are they talking about? Caring and corrupt organization. Uh, Racketeering and influence in corrupt organizations. It's a, um, a statute that um, penalizes organized criminal activity. So here you've got, uh, you know, he's sort of like the, the, the boss of the, the family. That's his attorney. In a lot of these shows, and you think back to The Godfather, you had, you know, the consigliere. In other words, the uh, lawyer for, 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 for the family, for the boss, for the crime syndicate. You know, it sort of takes different forms, different films. What are, uh, I mean, that seems like a... A dangerous business to be in when you when you have clients such as that. But what was sort of what are the what are the what are the ground rules for that? I mean, oftentimes th that role is depicted in a very um, dare I say corrupt way in a lot of the the media that's out there. But you know, here he's in, in essence giving him ad advice. Like, what what are the you, know, you talk about ethics? What are the what are the ground rules there? Problems here, and um, 
you know, one one thing is the consigliere for a crime family probably is not somebody who's poring over the rules of professional <laughs> conduct before he takes every action. But there are two problems here. He seems to be representing the brother mm-hmm. and telling the uh, head guy, Tony Soprano, yeah. that the brother wants out of jail and what should we do about the brother wanting out of jail? And then Tony Soprano is saying that there's a problem with him getting out of jail unless we keep him close. Um, he can't he can't share confidences with one client with another client, and he can't represent clients with conflicting interests. And if Tony Soprano doesn't want his brother out of jail, he can't be advising him on another his, brother's interest. I think it's his his uncle in this case, but the yes. same, the same. And also, pole. there's of course the um, the crime fraud release to the attorney client privilege. You can't you can't assist a client to engage in a crime or fraud. Oh. If they had enough to pinch you for, there'd be bars between us right as we speak. So why do they want me to go down there? Lock you into a story, any story. So later a trial, any contradiction will sink you. Are we gonna go? Did you say you'd go? Please. All right. Procrastinate. Let me get our ducks in a row. In the meantime, keep your cool and go the speed limit. Don't give them an in. what I just say? Don't give me in. Are you all right, Tony? This is some bad shit here. What's up, Anthony? How did this happen? Midlife crisis? You can talk to me. Okay, so there um, seems like he's sort of giving some 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 warnings. But what what are uh, uh, he's telling him? You know, go the speed limit. I imagine means you know don't. Uh, Stay out of Stay trouble. Stay out of trouble because um, he the, the he knows that the the uh, the FBI and the police are after him, and he doesn't want him to get pinched for a minor thing, which would give them a leverage over. So he's uh, he's going on the lamb. He's holding on to his money while he's gone. I imagine there's some problems with that. Yeah, that looks like money laundering and the lawyer being an accessory to money laundering to me. I don't think any lawyer who's interested in saving their ticket would accept a duffel bag full of cash. But again, I don't think that lawyer's yeah. primarily concerned about saving his ticket. Sure. So, because um, it's like sort of a longer clip to just to sort of set the scene, um, there's uh, basically this uh, Tony uh, gets uh, charged with this this uh, this weapons charge, um, and the person testifying against him is basically someone who, when they show it earlier in the show, there's uh, a, a raid. Tony was not the subject of. 
the raid. He just happened to be at another gangster's house, so he took off running. Uh, he threw his gun in the snow, and you know, obviously, in case he's uh, caught, you know, they're not going to find the gun on him. Uh, some teenage hoodlum picks up the gun, uh, and then two years later, he's uh, he's 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 charged for this. Um, well, basically, for having the gun and. Uh, there's sort of an interesting uh, dialogue that happens here um, in courts. So we just want to go over that. Police pulled over some kid and found a baggie with cocaine residue. They also found a gun loaded with hollow point bullets on the floor. Now, in order to beat the rap, this 16-year-old punk claims he saw my client drop that weapon. And mind you, not yesterday, but over two years ago using it in the meantime to shoot at cans and impress his friends. And there, the next scene is him walking out of court, so purportedly that was some effective uh, oral advocacy. What, 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 what was he trying to do there? Well, I, I assume that that was just an arraignment. It wasn't a trial. So what he's trying to do is undermine the credibility of the government's informant witness. So the government arrested this kid. This kid agrees to talk against Tony Soprano. The government's going to make a deal on this pending charge against the kid. The defense is always, let's try to undermine the informant and, and say that the informant's not credible, and that's what he was doing. 